Good morning. Welcome uh, to all of those of you who are near and far joining us this morning. Uh, it's just such an incredible privilege to worship, to be together, uh, to worship the King. And I'll tell you what happens to me. When I worship, my problems shrink. My problems shrink. So what, what we're going to do now as we open the Word is we're going to ask the Father the questions that matter as we continue in this series called Rethink, and we're going to ask Him, and we're going to watch Him shrink our problems. Now, so far in the series, we've covered five questions. We started off with, what's the purpose of life? And that led us to the great minds of history, which obviously all roads lead to Jesus. And we talked about who Jesus was. We then looked at his surprising and agonizing death. And then we looked at the Bible. Hey, is the Bible reliable? Is what we read in here reliable and trustworthy? And then last week, Jamie took us through uh, all the things Jesus said about following him as a shepherd. So now we bring everything together. Uh, and it's kind of like uh, the, the apex of the series. In a sense, it's the focal point because we're asking the question, what is the gospel of the kingdom? And we're seeing that this was the absolute focal point of Jesus. This is what he was all about. So as we think about the gospel of the kingdom and the focus of the preaching of Jesus, we come into uh, the topic that, uh, as Jamie said, it's a familiar set of words, the gospel of the kingdom. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to unpacking that question with you. And here's a, just a, an example of how important this was to Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. He says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Fascinating statement by Jesus just before his death. And he'd been talking about the kingdom all the way through since the very beginning of his preaching. He comes to this point, and he's clearly speaking in authority. There's an authority. This is a message from heaven. There's also an inclusiveness. This is for every tribe, every tongue, every language, every person, anywhere in the world. But then he says the preaching of this will be to everyone, and then the end will come. There's, there's a marker with the gospel of the kingdom that when it's been preached to everyone, the end will come. There's a marker of time included in the gospel of the kingdom. And then there's also this marker of grace because Jesus is essentially saying, I'm going to make sure that every person on earth hears the message, every tribe and tongue, every language. The Bible's being translated all over the place. It's online. It's everywhere because this is the promise Jesus made. And we're in that period now where the kingdom is being preached and so, let me pray for our time. Father, um, as we look at this message, uh, I just ask that you would speak to each person. Open our eyes to the gospel of the kingdom. Amen. So I'm going to do this in three parts. First part is, what exactly is the gospel? Second part, what exactly is the kingdom? And the third part, and the most important, is how do I respond to Jesus? So, 
Uh, the gospel, when you hear the word, you think immediately of truth. You think immediately uh, that it's, it's a religious word, but actually it, it doesn't mean truth. Uh, and it, it, it wasn't initially a religious word. So let's look at what it actually is and what it comes from. So gospel is the English translation of the Greek word euangelion. You say that? Euangelion. All right. That word means news that brings great joy. Now, this word came out, obviously, of the Greek kingdom, the time of Alexander the Great. This word was used by him and by the Roman emperors to declare military victories, world-shaping events, huge advances in his kingdom that would be announced with the good news. And that word was uh, essentially geopolitical in nature. It was propaganda in nature. It was a way for the emperors of these kingdoms to speak about how cool and awesome they were and what they were doing. So let me give you an example. When Jesus was born, the emperor Augustus was the Roman emperor, okay? And he was preaching a gospel, and it was the gospel of Augusta. Now, in this picture you see here, at the gate of the city of Ephesus, and uh, in lots of other places, in the gates of lots of other cities in the kingdom, in the, in the Roman Empire, chiseled into the, into the marble was the gospel of Augustus, and you, can, you can't read it, but you can see it there in that little red rectangle. So let me give you an example. Let me read from some excerpts from the Gospel of Augustus. The most divine Caesar, for when everything was falling and tending toward dissolution, he restored it and gave the whole world a new aura. Caesar is the common good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality. It goes on. Providence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the Emperor Augustus, who, being sent to us as Savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order, having become God-manifest. Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes. Now, they didn't have too many fact-checkers in those days, but let's just take a look at the Roman Empire at the time where Augustus was preaching his gospel. There are about 80 million people in the Roman Empire. 60 million of them were slaves. So life was not as sublime as Augustus was leading to. But it is in this context, in the middle of this type of gospel preaching, that Jesus borrowed this word to describe the good news of his kingdom. See, he came preaching a gospel, the good news of his kingdom, it was subversive. It was right in the face of the Roman emperors. Obviously, by the time Jesus was preaching, it was the emperor Tiberius, but it was the same old, same old. So think about the gospel being preached in this subversive way in the middle of this larger context of preaching this gospel of essentially the Pax Romana, which was maintained by a brutal military uh, dictatorship, right? All right, so now in case you're thinking, Dennis, what does this have to do with us? That's antiquity. That's not going on anymore. Well, 
Let me just say, there's many other gospels being preached to you and me right now. They're all over the place. There's the gospel of health and wellness to a long and happy life. There's the gospel of sexual freedom and having all the pleasure we want. There's the gospel of financial independence and being able to do what I want to do. There is the gospel of big pharma, which is we can rescue you from any disease you might have. There is the gospel of the left. There's the gospel of the right, uh, promising us the ultimate path to happiness. There is the gospel of popularity and all of the victory of social media and being liked uh, and being famous. And there is the gospel of education, uh, promising us a move upward in society. There's also the gospel of America, the gospel of China. Uh, you get the idea. All of these promise fulfillment, but they come up empty. Now, they're not bad. Here's the thing. They're not bad in and of themselves. But even nation building is a good thing. But none of them can give us eternity, and none of them can save us. So the gospel of Jesus is, a, is an announcement of a fact. And here's the simplest way I can put it to you. Uh, the gospel of Jesus is the good news of the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus, where he defeated evil and sin, right? And then three days later, the empty grave where he defeated death. So the good news is that our sin, our rebellion, our self-centeredness, our mistakes, uh, our, our gaffes have all been paid for by the blood of Christ on the cross. And our signature promise is that this life is temporary and there'll be a life after, which is resurrection, which is the empty grave where death will be defeated. So, all that's left, and this is a done deal, guys. This is a historical announcement. The king has sent it out and has basically said, my cross and my empty tomb give you total freedom. And all that's left to be done with this historical fact is to accept it or reject it. Because it is unchangeable. It is done. It is finished, as Jesus said. Think of it this way. When the, when the armies of the allies landed uh, on D-Day and turned back the Germans in Normandy and started moving through Europe, June 6, 1944, that was D-Day. The war turned the corner and was won. 336 days later, there was VE Day, which is the actual celebration of the victory uh, as the Allies returned into all the countries where the Germans had been on May, in May of 1945. That's where we are right now. D-Day for Jesus was on the cross, and his return, VE Day, that's coming, uh, is, is in the future, and we are in that time in between now. It's been done. The war's won, the victory's won, it's done. So let's take a look at this gospel. What has actually, uh, how did God, how did Jesus express this? How did God express this? How did his disciples express this? So first of all, 
In John 3, we hear about what it is, is costly love. It says here that, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And the next verse, which you don't read very often, says, But God did not send his Son in the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. So the message of the victory of Christ on the cross was not to condemn the world, but to save it. So here we have this love, costly love, his best and only, his best and only son, his death on the cross for us, that we have eternal life and that we avoid condemnation. And that is the way out that Jesus has provided. It's a gospel for the whole world. Now, it's so perfect and it's such an amazing thing that God actually turned it into a command. So when Paul was in Athens talking to the intelligentsia of the day at Mars Hill, he gives the, the talk and he basically turns it into a command. He says this, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, that is, the pursuit of idols, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That means to do a 180 from your sin towards him. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone in the world by raising him from the dead. So here we cut the cross, then we've got the resurrection, and it's an urgent command. It's good news. It's, it's, like, it's like car insurance. When a young driver gets car insurance, he protects or she protects himself and herself from harming other people on the road. If uh, damage occurs, the insurance covers it. This is such a good idea that it's mandatory. You can't drive without it. Well, the gospel is such a good idea, is such a big idea, is such a world-changing idea, is such a life-changing idea that you cannot, you cannot miss it. And so it's, it's a command of the, of the Lord. And those who do accept it will be moving into the light and will spend eternity with God. Those who reject it are moving towards the darkness and they will spend eternity separated from God. So that is the gospel and we can either react to it with scorn, as many do, as many did, or we can react to it with humility and we can bend the knee uh, to the gospel of Jesus. But there's more. The gospel is not just about the salvation of individual people. It's about the king and his kingdom. And the gospel uh, is, is this coming kingdom. So that's part two, and we're going to look at what exactly is the kingdom. Now, you and I live in a country that was founded by people who uh, rebelled against unfair taxation by an absolute monarch, the King of England. Well, nowadays, monarchy has evolved from absolute monarchy, especially in England, to constitutional monarchy. That is, the monarch uh, has very limited powers and is part of uh, the leadership. So in the United Kingdom, uh, the real leader is Boris Johnson, but the queen is reigning over 
England and her commonwealth. But the queen, and she's here with her successors, you know, next, next guy up to bat is Prince Charles, then Prince William, then Prince George. All of these people uh, may one day reign like Queen Elizabeth, but they will never rule. Queen Elizabeth does not rule. When we hear about a kingdom, we're used to democracy. We're used to uh, a very different world. Well, the king is announcing his kingdom in which he will have total authority. He is going to decide uh, what happens. In other words, Jesus is essentially announcing a new world order where he is in total command and total control of the entire cosmos. So let's take a look at where this comes from because Jesus is obviously fulfilling what was promised in the, in the Old Testament. So we go to a representative passage about this coming kingdom in Daniel chapter 2. And it says this in verse 44, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. Now here, in the days of those kings, we're talking about the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. And his kingdom uh, is, is brought in, in, is interpreting a dream of an earthly king here. He's brought out of a, a, a kingdom of stone that is hewn by God himself and becomes the mountain that fills the whole earth. This is the kingdom of God promised in the ancient Israeli prophets. Well, fast forward, Jesus is walking into town in Matthew 4, and he's announcing the kingdom. And here's what he says. Here's what it says. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. It's surprising because it's not a military takeover. He actually is coming on a donkey the first time. That means peace. He'll come on a horse next time. That means war. He's coming, and what he's doing is he's introducing us to the potency of his kingdom to reverse disease, to reverse paralysis, to reverse death by raising people from the dead. He's showing us what the kingdom is. And here at Marymount Church and all over the world today are healings and people being raised from the dead and people being released from addiction. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is very real and we see it here week in and week out as people are healed and delivered. And so Jesus in the book of Revelation is saying, I am making all things new. So he has introduced the kingdom. It is now moving, but it's not fully here. It won't be fully here until he returns. So let's define then the kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus is the effective rule of our king over the lives of his followers as he saves heals, sets us free, and as he moves through us into the lives of others and the domains of others. This also, this kingdom also includes everything he does on his own, through his own action, through the angels that he commands, 
But that is the kingdom. Now the kingdom has spawned hospitals. It has spawned universities. It has spawned orphanages. It has spawned legal systems. It's, it's actually visible in spots in our world, but for many, it's invisible. And, and these hospitals, you may not be able to see anything more about Jesus except maybe a plaque in the lobby. Uh, these universities, you may not see any more of Jesus and his kingdom except in their founding documents. When you look at why Harvard and why Yale were founded, they were founded for the gospel of the kingdom. But that's not what they're about anymore. So we don't see it. We need to understand it's subversive. It is hidden. And so it must be discovered. It must be uh, that when we hear the gospel of the kingdom, we must move to obey it. And that comes to part three of the message, which is how do I respond to Jesus? And here we, we move from, from the, the amazing announcement to like, what do you do about it? How do you move forward? And um, you know what? Jesus made it perfectly clear and his disciples made it perfectly clear how to obey the gospel and how to enter the kingdom. And it is, it is uh, this, this amazing privilege we have to, to start a love relationship with Jesus, to walk with him. So in the book of Hebrews, we hear uh, very clearly, here's how you obey the gospel. It says, uh, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Three short verses, Hebrews 6, 1 to 3, that lays it out straightforwardly. And, and what's interesting is there's seven things in this verse, and six of them are elementary. That means, in my mind, that means, and, and by experience, you can do these six things in a matter of a few, a few days, a week or two tops. This is, this is basic instruction on following Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at it. And, and, and then, of course, there's one that's a little bit cha more challenging. But let's look at the first six. Turn from your sin. Absolutely just do a 180. Turn from your sin. If you're into pornography, drop it. Drop it and turn to Christ. If you're in an addiction, stop it and turn to Christ. And you'll see, he'll give you the power to do it. So repent, turn away. Turn to Jesus and put your faith in Jesus. That means trust. That means trust for all of life. That's step two. Step three is get baptized. That's like, that word means dunked, immersed in water. Get baptized. And this is for people who have understood sin, have turned from sin, understood Jesus, have played their, play, placed their faith in Jesus. Get baptized. If you haven't been baptized, and you're, you've, you've repented, and you've placed your faith in Christ, and you haven't get baptized, then you got to get baptized. Now, you notice when we do baptisms here, people come out of the tank, and what happens? The first thing we do is we lay on hands. That laying on of hands is for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. When God gives you the Spirit, 
it is a sign that he has accepted your repentance as genuine and your faith is genuine and your obedience in baptism is genuine. And so you get the Holy Spirit. And then live for the resurrection. Live for the time after. Don't live for today. Live for the time after. And number six, warn others about the judgment. Warn others about the judgment. Share the gospel of the kingdom. Let them know the good news. And then, these are basics, elementary, absolutely ground floor starting point. And then it says, and then mature by God's grace. That's going to take you a lifetime. That's going to take you uh, living with Jesus and walking with Jesus. So that's how you obey the gospel. Now, how about entering the kingdom? Well, Jesus talked a lot about entering the kingdom. In John 3, he says it this way. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can somebody be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. That's a Jewish religious leader he's talking to. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. By the way, episode 7 of The Chosen gives you an incredible look at this, this, uh, seri this interchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. Highly recommend it. But what, what does this look like? Well, entering the kingdom, according to Jesus, again, seven things. And here's what he says. And this is all his teaching on entering the kingdom, not just John 3, but obviously job one, number one, must be born again. That's God giving you a new heart. You can't do that. Only God can do that. Give you a new heart, a new spirit. Got to be born again. Uh, then you got to be born of the water and of the spirit. That's the water baptism and the spirit baptism that we talked about in the previous list. But then Jesus goes on, you got to be like little children. You've got to be curious and unafraid to ask questions and seek after God. Be like little children or you won't. If you're sophisticated, then the gospel is probably going to be too simple for you. But if you are like a child, like my granddaughter um, who received Christ when she was six years old, uh, you, you, you have to be a child. You receive this good news. You have to be more uh, righteous than a Pharisee. That's what he says in Matthew 5.20. That means you can't be like Nicodemus and your righteousness is all your religious stuff. Your righteousness has to come from him. And that's greater than the righteousness of people trying to do religious stuff. Then he says, hey, rich people, it's going to be really hard. You know, he's talking to us, right? We're the rich people, the richest people that ever lived. It's going to be hard. That's why it's hard around here in the U.S., because there's a lot of other Gospels and, you know, part of coming to Christ is turning your wealth and everything over to Him. And that's hard for some to do. Number six, the, the disciples in Acts chapter 14 say, expect hardship. It's going to be difficult. And uh, lastly, mature in obedience. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, hey, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to be with me in eternity only those who do the will of my Father. So we got to mature into obedience. So in summary, the gospel of the kingdom is a call of love with such significance and benefits by such a powerful and loving, 
humble God that it demands our complete attention. It demands a, a complete response. So here's what I'm going to summarize with. I'm going to close and we'll get the worship team up here. The gospel of the kingdom is now being spoken to you. You who are listening here and uh, all those everywhere who hear this message, the gospel of the kingdom is being spoken to you. And if you have obeyed the gospel and you've entered the kingdom, if so, my only request of you this morning is to share the kingdom with others. That's your job. Share the kingdom with others. If you've begun your journey with Jesus, but you haven't done what he asks, my question is, why not? Will you trifle with the demands of your king? So whatever on these lists you have not yet done, I encourage you to seek the Lord today and to decide today that you're going to get it done. And lastly, if you have not decided to obey the gospel yet, maybe you haven't heard it clearly until today, or maybe you've been rejecting it, I just encourage you to lay your pride down. Bend your knee. Just get down on your knees right now. Get down on your knees and say, King Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry that I've been stubborn, that I've not received what you have done for me. I've not answered the call. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray with you right now. Father, we thank you that the gospel of the kingdom is life with an eternal quality, that we're able to handle COVID-19 and race tensions and elections with zero anxiety. Father, thank you for freedom and forgiveness and zero bitterness. Thank you, Lord, for the presence of healing and worship and joy and love. Father, thank you for the humility to give glad service to others. Thank you for love that is sacrificial, like Jesus, that sustains relationships and marriage. Lord, make for yourself an authentic church that overcomes sin and loves well. Lord, bring the churches of Cincinnati together in the gospel of the kingdom to love our city well, despite differences of culture, socioeconomics, age, and gender. Lord, Help us love a people far from you, Lord, every single person far from you. Give us influence in our world. Let us be salt and light. Lord, break, break our pride and restore our broken relationships. And Lord, help us have friendships that reflect our eternal, our eternal reality as being your family. So Father, you are good. You are good. And we thank you, Jesus, for the gospel of the kingdom. May we obey it fully. May we enter it fully today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.